Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, February 26th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. It's closing night, isn't it? It is, yes. A two-performance run. <laughs> a two-performance run. Yeah. It was uh, the best of times. It was the worst of times. Well, you know, that's twice as long <laughs> as Moose Birders, so uh, I can hold my head up high. <laughs> I, I, uh, the reviews rolled in last Sunday, uh, all raves, all raves. Uh, so tell us about, um, you know, how can, uh, how can today's performance be differentiated from last week? It can be differentiated entirely. Um, the thing is, um, this show is based on something Spalding Gray did, where he used to pull index cards out of the blue, and um, on each one would be a title of a show he'd seen, produced, acted in, whatever. Um, and uh, he would tell stories, and that's what I'm doing. However, every card that I pulled last week has been retired. So uh, as a result, uh, people who told me they want to come again will not hear anything they heard before. So uh, that's an important value. And um, even uh, what I started saying at the beginning is a very different uh, monologue as well. So so really, I mean, obviously, uh, many people who are listening to this um, are listening to it well after the fact. But uh, nevertheless, who knows? Maybe we'll do it a third time. Maybe the third time will be the charm. Who knows? Or maybe it'll be three strikes and I'm out. <laughs> That's wonderful. So Pete's Theatrical Adventures is going to happen uh, today at 4 p.m. at Theater 555, just in case you are listening to us a little bit early. Uh, and get over there and uh, see Peter's show. So, Peter, you have a system, a, a whole. Do you mark the card with a date or do you put it into a different box or... No, there? it's it, um, I I tend to remember the dates, uh, so um, that's what's happening. That'll all do right. it. Okay, so also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So, Michael, you got over to uh, Studio 54 to see pictures from home. Uh, Peter talked about this a few weeks ago, but what did you think about it? I enjoyed it, but I think uh, that there's a, a basic problem here. Uh, this is a play by Char White, and it's based on uh, a, a photo memoir, I believe is what it's called, that was written by this fellow named Larry Sultan who is also one of the three characters in this play. Uh, so he had, he had uh, compiled and, and published this, this book of photos of his elderly parents uh, some time ago, and it became a, a very popular bestseller. And so now uh, this play exists about that, 
uh, and featuring many, many, many of those photos, actual photos from the book, um, blown up uh, to huge proportions and projected on the back wall of the theater. Uh, and Larry Sultan is played in this production by Danny Burstein, and his parents, Irving and Jean Sultan, are played by Nathan Lane and Zoe Wanamaker. So first of all, you can't do better as far as the cast, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, so at least, you know, you know, I mean, how bad could it be? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, and a lot of it was was very nice. But I, I think the problem here is that really what it is, is 90 minutes about of uh, or no, actually, I think it was I think that one was a little longer. I I think that one was an, an hour and 45 yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Yeah, um, with no intermission, and uh, the no intermission wasn't such a problem. Although, <laughs> I've never heard ushers um, say so many times right before the show, "There's no intermission. Go to the bathroom now." Uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, as you might guess, um, the general <laughs> demographic of the audience was not especially young. You know, <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. And of course, I include myself in that. Um, anyway, um, the problem here is that it's really an hour and 45 minutes of almost constant um, discussion of uh, between uh, between Larry and his parents about uh, and especially Larry and his dad. They, they, they have most of the um interaction and the most of the dialogue in the play uh the mother has um a, a considerably smaller role and she you get the feeling that she comes in and out more uh but really it's larry and his his dad and it's never ending constant discussions of um reality versus um what one sees in a photo and how much of reality a photo can capture. And uh, when a person takes a photo, are they trying to project, uh, you know, a personality other than what they are? And then all these, these constant discussions and, mm-hmm. and rehashings of um, the, the dad's lifestyle and, and how he made his career and, you know, how his life turned out and if he would have wanted it to be something else. And it's just, you know, there, there wasn't enough um, just everyday conversation in it. If there had been more humor, there was a considerable amount of humor, but there, but there was just too much arguing and rehashing the uh, percentage wise. I really am surprised um at Char White, who's a wonderful playwright, uh, not to know that that was a flaw here. Um, for one thing, if it had just been a little bit shorter, if it had been 90 minutes and they had cut out 15 minutes of the rehashing and the haranguing, uh, I think that would have helped tremendously because, of course, 15 minutes on stage is a huge amount of time. Um, so that was my main problem with it. I, I wish it had been better in that way because – it's always a privilege to see those three actors on the stage. And here's a just an um, unexpected little fun fact, or not fact, but opinion, I guess. Um, Zoe Wanamaker, I, I think this is the first time I've seen her do an American accent. And um, it was not only an American accent, but uh, you know, it was a, she was playing a Jewish matron, a, a Jewish-American matron, and doing that accent that you would expect 
to hear from that. And to me, she sounded for all the world like Ruth Gordon in, well, Ruth Gordon in general, and specifically (laughs) Ruth Gordon in Rosemary's Baby. So... (laughs) <laughs> um, so that every time she opened her mouth after a while, I, I, I giggled a little bit, um, because she really sounded like her, uh, but that was appropriate for the character. So that wasn't a, a problem. Um, what else? Uh, you know, nice set, uh, as Peter mentioned when he saw the show that he had a little bit of an issue, um, that of course, uh, as I said, the real photos are used and projected on the back wall and, uh, the actors don't look anything like the real people. So if you can kind of just get over that at the beginning, you'll enjoy the the play more. Um, and it is interesting to see the actual photos from this book that was so popular uh, and see uh, what, try to figure out what it was, is that people responded to. Um, this was directed by the way, by Bartlett Cher, who as I think, some of us has mentioned before um, doesn't seem to do as well with new pieces as he does with revivals. And I think maybe he might've recognized um, that there was too much of that arguing and, and angry, like pissing at each other um, in this play. And, and that some of it could have been cut and that would have benefited the play greatly. Hmm. All right, so uh, that is Pictures from Home over to Studio 54. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Peter, you headed down to Maryland, to Annapolis, I'm guessing for good crab cakes and visit the Naval <laughs> Academy. Was that it? No visit to the Naval Academy, but a visit to the Colonial Players. Um, longtime listeners know that I'm a big fan of community theater, and I've never seen anything of the Colonial Players who are about to celebrate their 75th anniversary. So that's quite a statement. Lovely little theater. Terrific. And they were doing The Book of Will by Lauren Gustafson. Um, we had a, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, who we had on the show uh, some time ago. And um, a lovely, uh, lovely lady and a very accomplished playwright who had a great idea for a play here. It starts off with an, um, an, a performer doing Hamlet's Famous to be and not to be soliloquy. And those who know it will say, wow, um, gee, she's doing it wrong. Yes. One of the reasons she's doing it wrong is because a lot of these plays had not been put down on paper. And time, as time goes on, people corrupted them. Mm. Richard Burbage dies. He was the big star at that time. And um, people realized that a lot of what he remembered from these plays is the way people did them. And, well, maybe we should start doing some real versions of these plays, putting them down on paper to keep them for future generations. So that's the idea of what's going on here. And two people are really um, uh, the head of this, Henry Condell. Uh, very nicely played by Brian Gilbert and John Hemmings, terrifically played by Steve Tobin. And I also want to mention uh, Laurie Cosner, who played his wife, because I'm telling you, you really felt that these two were a married couple. It was so amazing to watch them. They really, really um, had a terrific relationship. But anyway, um, here they are. And now they're going to really do something that Peter Stone talked about in 1776, half-improvised improvised half compromised because they're getting all sorts of information from various people even from fans who remember certain lines but what do you take what do you omit what do you take for granted who do you believe 
uh, well, <laughs> everybody has an opinion here. Um, even the line everybody is a critic uh, shows up here, and that's uh, pretty good too. But um, the playwright really does such a wonderful job with tiny details. For example, at one point, uh, Richard Burbage complained that um, that Ophelia giggled his way through Act Three. Now, Ophelia giggled his way through actor. Yes, because indeed, in those days, men were playing um, women's roles. So that was a terrific line. I really like that quite a bit. Um, uh, publish or vanish, uh, Henry says at one point. It's true. You know, we hear publish or perish in terms of mm-hmm. um, college yeah. professors, uh, that they have to do that to keep their jobs. But uh, there's a lot of argument on what should be included. Uh, we we can't have the comedies without the tragedies. Um, you know, uh, what are we putting in? The funny thing is the the running joke. The running joke is the fact that of all things, they have the total script, the Pericles. No problem with that one. And of course, that one isn't one that's done very often. And when you know, that's the one that uh, they don't have to go searching for. I am telling you, this audience is one of the best audiences I have ever seen in terms of laughter. They roared with laughter so much of the time, especially with the running joke of Pericles. They just appreciated it so much. Every time the word Pericles came in, it was just another explosion of laughter. This this um, Colonial Players group really knows how to please its audience. I'm telling you that. They found out what they like, how they like it, and they're giving to it just that way. So, that's really quite wonderful as well. So um, there's people saying, well, if we if we print them, what's going to pre- pre- prevent other groups from doing them? You know, what will happen then? You know, well, yeah, but isn't it better to get the plays out there and not worry about that type of thing? Um, so uh, we see how people are devoted to art, how they suffer for their art. We hear about people suffering for their art, usually are people who are people who are actually in productions um, or people who are writing. Well, this is a different thing entirely. These are people who are suffering, not knowing what to do. And of course, um, what happens is that somebody unauthorized does publish. You've probably heard about the bad quartos that um, happened um, shortly after Shakespeare died, that somebody took the liberty of just putting what he thought um, they should be in. People realize, well, that's just one guy's opinion, and maybe we need a committee. And of course, when you have a committee, maybe there's a problem there because everybody has an opinion. Who knows who's right and who's wrong? I mean, do you see how all this is really <laughs> um, <laughs> nerve wracking? Um, it's also very nice that um, a little amanuensis uh, who nobody treats very well, um, a guy named Ralph Crane, nicely played by Ed Miller. Um, Ed with two D's, by the way. Um, uh, how he, uh, everybody treats him like garbage. And as time goes on, they realize this guy knows a lot. And so it's really nice to see um, the little uh, amanuensis that could. So that was really um, very good too. So it's very, very moving when they get it all together. And even they do something that apparently wasn't done very often at the time. And when you think of it, I mean, what was publishing like back then? One of the things they do is put a picture of Shakespeare, the famous picture we've all seen. When you're picturing that picture of Shakespeare in your mind, that's what's on. And there's lots of talk about, wow, we're putting in a picture too. Wow, wow. There's even a wonderful um, who's on first uh, Abbott and Costello uh, type of exchange when they talk about uh, the plays they have. And um, well, should we include Cardenio, um, which a lot of people say he wrote? The two mobile kinsmen, well, that one supposedly collaborated on with John Fletcher. Should we put that in? I mean, (laughs) but then Love Labor won. There was there has been a lot of speculation that Shakespeare did write a play called Love Labor's One. And so you uh, have be played no no Love Labor's Lost. No, Love and I'm telling you it's a real who's on first type of thing that really is quite wonderful. <laughs> so um great fun. So um what we're dealing with here is um 
the fact that it's going to be expensive to do all these plays and paper is not plentiful. And you know, so that's an issue, too. Of course, of course, it's an issue that's going to involve a lot of money. So uh, we have here a question of pounds and pence and posterity. Um, but I'll tell you, in terms of posterity, I'm not surprised that the colonial players have done so astonishingly well during their time in Annapolis, Maryland, in a cute little tucked away corner. Very, very, very nice uh, situation. And I really um, have to give um, Richard Alta Nichols a great deal of uh, credit for directing it so superbly. Oh, and uh, while I don't know much about costumes, Linda, who stayed for the whole thing, Mm -hmm. Linda um, said the costumes really knocked her eyes out. She thought they were so great into period and all that. She said, where'd they get these costumes? Yeah, and well, because they've been around for so long, I'm sure they have a wonderful costume shop. And so I'm not surprised that um, the costume uh, turned out to be spectacular as well. So good for everybody. And once again, we are learning that community theater does it well. And they certainly did it well here. God love them with the colonial players. So they have uh, quite the season that their work they're in the midst of right now. They started out with art uh, back mm-hmm. in September, October. Then they did The Lifespan of a Fact in mm-hmm. October, November. Then Crimes of the Heart in January. The Book of Will right now is running through March 19th. They have uh, Putting It Together in April yep. and May. Yep. And then uh, Ravenscroft in mm-hmm. uh in May and June. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. You can check out the Colonial Players for yourself and get down to Maryland and uh, see the cherry blossoms and some oh, good... Oh, uh, let, let yeah. me mention this too. I'm, I'm, I'm very disappointed I didn't mention this. This was their first preview. And I fully expect them to say, ah, listen, you can't come to our first preview. I mean, come on, give us a week or two. You know, They were raring to go. I'm telling you, everybody was letter perfect and full characterizations. The first preview. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Good to hear. So uh, next up, Michael, you headed over to the Signature uh, Theater Company on 42nd Street to see A Bright New Boise. So tell us about this. This is a play by Samuel D. Hunter, directed by Oliver Butler, and... <clears throat> Something really interesting here as well. Let me read, just read this little blurb on the website. MacArthur Fellow and writer of Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, uh, that's referring to the film version uh, of the play uh, by Mr. Hunter that had been uh, off-Broadway a few years ago. Uh, Samuel D. Hunter returns with the off-Broadway premiere of A Bright New Boise. Similar to his critically acclaimed first production at Signature, A Case for the Existence of God, Hunter captures a region of his home state, Idaho, in a depersonalized work environment through the people who inhabit it. This dark comedic work depicts a Boise hobby lobby thrown into chaos by the arrival of a new employee sorting through a tragic past. Now, um, let's see. I'm not sure where to start here because, first of all, uh, yes, it's set in the lunchroom of a Hobby Lobby in in Boise. And this is a very much um, slice-of-life type of play, extremely realistic, quote-unquote, dialogue, uh, the kind of talk you would hear people actually engaging in in that sort of a situation you know on a very every everyday day-to-day basis um uh, michael but, can i interrupt you for a second yeah 
Can you tell the listeners who don't know what Hobby Lobby is what Hobby Lobby is? Oh, well, uh, I, I don't think I've ever been to one, but it's a, 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 it's a chain where you buy construction materials, basically. Arts and crafts. Arts and crafts. Yeah. Arts and crafts type of con- uh, materials, uh, uh, Hobby Lobby. And uh, also, they are a very conservative company who very has, conservative. Been, yes. has been in the news uh, based in the United States, mostly I think Hobby Lobby is mostly Midwestern, but I, 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 I geographically, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Right. Yeah. And, uh, that their conservative, uh, stuff, um, <laughs> is certainly, you know, I mean, that's a, it's an undercurrent here. I, I'm not sure if it's dealt with so much, but, uh, let me just tell you what happened. So this, this new, uh, employee played by Peter Mark Kendall, um, who comes to work there and, and he, he's given, shown the ropes, et cetera. Um, but, uh, then it turns out, I, I guess this is not a spoiler because we find this out quite early on, um, that one of the other employees there, this young guy played by Ignacio Diaz Silverio is his son, uh, who, who he had given up for adoption <laughs> as a baby. So that's, one thing that's going on but then we also find out that another one of the employees uh, a young guy uh played by angus o'brien is the adopted brother of the uh, of the other young guy um so it's it's very very fraught um the the setup may seem uh well i mean the dialogue may seem very realistic but there's a lot that that happens here that's uh you know maybe you might say contrived. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. I, I, as I said, I just saw the whale, the movie of the whale mm. um, a few weeks ago, and I enjoyed it very much. But one thing that seemed odd to me was that a lot of it dealt with a subplot involving this church called the new life church. Uh, and it seemed to me that that subplot in the whale had very little, if anything, to do with the main plot, which is about this morbidly obese fellow who, um, you know, who can't, who's housebound because he's so, so big. And the fact that he's basically dying and he's facing his mortality and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so New Life Church sounded familiar. I looked it up and, uh, and the main thing on that is that, um, this is a church that was the name of a church that was followed, founded in Colorado Springs, Colorado, by Ted Haggard. Remember him? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. He had a, a, a sex scandal because he, um, let's see, a male prostitute and masseur had alleged that Haggard, uh, who had advocated against the legalization of same-sex marriage, had paid him for sex for three years and mm-hmm. had also purchased and used crystal methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, another one of those. Yeah. Hypocrites. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that church was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, uh, but Samuel Hunter um, sets all of his stuff, it seems, in Idaho. Uh, I'm I haven't quite been able to find out if there is or was a, a New Life Church in Idaho, also. But I I assume that's the one that he's referring to. Uh, and I just, it seems like he's almost obsessed with it. Um, 
So I'm going to have to read up a little bit more on that because uh, it figures so prominently in the whale and in this play. I don't recall if – do you remember anything like that in uh, Case for the Existence of God, Peter? No, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah I don't think it was in that. And that was uh, that was actually the best of the three uh, works by him, plays by him that I've seen uh, so far. Um, so uh, – this this was interesting to me, but it, I, I also felt like it was a little bit all over the place. And and uh, I I'm fascinated though by the obsession with this church, uh, which is apparently you know a very very conservative, very cult like church. And I I'm all for exposing places like that. Um, one interesting thing here is that um, the other people who work at the Hobby Lobby. When they find out th- that this fellow uh, was heavily in, was or is heavily involved in the New Life Church, they really, they really uh, do not react well to that because we're made to think that everyone really, really hates that church. Uh, so, so at least we have that. It's not as if um, there are all these people still enthralled to it. And then we find out that there was a. A, um, a death that happened and and that cast a pall over the church and and it's it's there's a lot of interesting stuff here um some of it seeming very schematic and maybe melodramatic um but he is a wonderful playwright and so it certainly held my interest and i i would recommend seeing it um and maybe you can uh maybe you'll have a little different reaction to me as far as the what the ultimate point of it is because i didn't quite get it <laughs> all right so that's uh, a bright new boys yet signature theater company it's uh playing through march 12th so there's about three weeks left or so to check it out and i will have a link to that in the show notes uh peter you wanted to preview a new play called war dreamer that's uh that was over being presented at the wild project uh i saw in my notes that this had a Another type of workshop about a year ago. Is this uh, something you have seen before, or is this the first time you're experiencing it? No. Truth to tell, what had happened was I was asked to do a feature on this. So I went out to um, Tillery uh, Street in Brooklyn, uh, where um, Lingrid Stevens um, and um, his wife, Erin Treadway, have a rehearsal space. And uh, they're rehearsing to do this play that's going to open March 3rd at uh, the wild project that's on uh, 195 east third street so um i was asked to do a feature and what i did wind up doing is seeing the first act of the play and i was so impressed by it that i really wanted to uh, mention it and say that uh, our uh, listeners should get over there to the wild project uh, a tiny theater but a nice one and um so this is about a Iraqi war veteran. Um, and, you know, as if um, these people don't have enough problems um, coming back, you know, some of them, of course, have had amputations. Um, some of them have depression. Some of them become al- alcoholics or drug users. Um, and what's going to happen to these people? Well, what's really a problem is that Jesse, that's a woman, Jesse Jennings, um, also gets caught up in conspiracy theories. And uh, so as if she doesn't have enough problems, there's another one here. Uh, She really does go down a rabbit hole. And um, the playwright, Lee Grid Stevens, was telling me that um, he found, uh, he was amazed at how many conspiracy theories there are out there. Um, Some of them we've heard about. 
about uh, the ones where the QAnon people were waiting for JFK to show up in Dallas. I'm sorry, JFK Jr. to show up in Dallas where his daddy was shot uh, many years ago. And they fully assembled there, fully believing that he was going to come back and um, that he and Donald Trump would rule the country. And wouldn't that be great? So um, that's just one of many conspiracy theories. But she runs into a Lulu here. And um, it's very, very, um, it takes over her life, which, of course, a lot of these things do. And even though um, Aaron Treadway uh, said to me, who plays the part, by the way, and plays it wonderfully, uh, says that uh, conspiracy theories can be shot down with logic. Well, when you've been through a lot of stuff, you know, and of course, this woman um, has been through a lot of stuff. What happened when she's away? Um, what about her husband? What kind of, uh, how's he been spending his time? Uh, has he been faithful to her? What about their daughter? Yeah. Does she even know her mother, who her mother is? Um, the, the daughter, um, I'm supposed to be nine years old. I think she's younger, was played by Ruby Titus. And you might assume that she got cast because the co-director with Leakrid Stevens is Jacob Titus. No, the kid really, really has um, a great deal of ability, but so do they all. I mean, it was a fabulous cast, and I really do believe that this is a play that's worth attending. So I'm looking forward to seeing it for real, and uh, since I only saw the first act, bring on act two. I want to know what happens, because, boy, they really left a cliffhanger for me there, and I don't want to fall over the cliff. I want to observe from the cliff. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So that is uh, coming up March 3rd through the 25th at The Wild Project. And I have a link to that in the show notes. They've got some uh, YouTube videos and other types of information on the show that you can click over and check out as well. So uh, this week we had uh, <laughs> the first preview of the revival of Parade, Jason Robert Brown's uh, Tony Award winning musical. Um, and it started off with, uh, anti-Semitic protesters, uh, in front of the theater. Can you imagine that? So, uh, what, do you- uh, what astonishes me is that, um, was it yesterday? There was an official day of hate. Yeah. Uh, the neo-Nazis mm-hmm. were having an official day of hate. You'd think they'd at least use a euphemism <laughs> for hate. You know, I mean, yeah, really. Right. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, does that come down to brass tacks? At least it's truth in advertising. But right. still, I mean, just as a lot of people are saying, oh, we want religious liberty. They have religious liberty. You can do whatever you want in this country in terms of religion. But nevertheless, that's the euphemism they use. But we want you to believe in our religion, none, none others. So um, it's terrible, of course, that this is happening. And um, I, I'm very, very concerned that uh, it's really going to affect business because this did get out and in no uncertain terms people know a lot about this and i imagine a lot of people are going to be very wary to even go on 45th street let alone to the theater itself well uh i hope not uh yeah of course that would be understandable i i i heard that security has been beefed up which is not surprising i don't know if that will continue for the entire run um yeah i guess we'll see you know what i hate most about (laughs) those protests and they're entirely hateful on every level of course it was the same thing that happened with the scottsboro boys um the ridiculous protests over the use of uh, as i remember it as blackface and that with people having no idea that uh, how ironic the use of blackface wasn't that and that was the whole point of the show uh which was about the scottsboro boys um so i you know but on the other hand the people who 
I, it's too much to expect that that um, hate groups, people who belong to a hate group, uh, as they call them, <laughs> uh, as, you know, as Peter said, at least they're being honest about it. Uh, um, I guess it's too much to hope that they would actually read something, uh, you know, and actually attempt to uh, understand what it's saying. Uh, they're they're really not concerned about what actually is being said and done. It's just uh, uh, anything to express their hatred for a certain group. In this case, Jews. Uh, you know, in other cases, it might be black people. Uh, in other cases, it might be Asian people. It, it's very fascinating. The parade essentially says that uh, the people in that era at that time, I'll only say that, um, it seemed very apparent that Jim Conley, the black janitor, was the guy who really did the deed and killed Mary Fagan. But the fact is, as much as we hear about the South, especially back then, not being amenable, and that's, <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it, um, to black people, they would prefer a black Southerner to a damn Yankee Jew. Uh, right. that, that, that's kind of interesting as well. You know, I, uh, this is quite a good musical, and I really hope that uh, people uh, don't stay away. I understand reluctance, but such a good musical because, um, first off, Jason Robert Brown has done tremendous work here. Um, wonderful lyrics such as when um, Leo Frank at the beginning of the show talks about the fact that he feels like a fish out of water. Uh, he says, I've got a wife who would prefer I say howdy. And not shalom, but that's what he's used to saying, you know. And, and and Lucille has a wonderful line when she says, "Why do I wait for more?" Um, it's a simple line, but boy, um, you're waiting for more. You're going to get a lot of more. And um, best of all, one of the great great fake outs uh, of all time, and in, in that. I I've had as a theater goer, I knew the the story was about this uh, terrible um, railroading of a guy who certainly uh, seemed to be innocent, but. Um, looking at the, the one of the last songs on the show, All the Wasted Time, mm -hmm. I said, oh, all right, you know, they're going to sing about the fact that um, they had all this uh, waste, uh, this time in prison and uh, all that. But what they're talking about, all the wasted time, is all the wasted time we could have loved each other right. when, when you were free. And what a great take on that, you know. So, I mean, I, it's such a great musical, and I'm delighted it's getting a, a second chance. And um, I really wish it well. And to have this happen is is so awful on a number of levels, but including the box office, I'm sorry to say. Well, I've said many times I did get to see this production at uh, City Center, and it truly is one of the best things I've seen in years. It's just and I'm I'm still amazed just thinking back on it at how much more I liked it in this production than in the original, which, you know, should have been brilliant uh, with brent carver and sure. carolee Carole, carmelo sure, and sure. and uh at lincoln center and uh and produced and directed by hal prince but sure i still can't quite put my finger on it there was something about that production that didn't quite speak to me uh whatever whatever flaws i saw in the show or in the performances or whatever absolutely non-existent here everything is perfect and i think um I think even if you don't like Ben Platt, you might love him in this because he is so brilliant in the role. And I do like him uh, to begin with. So I, I just was thrilled. Uh, and, and everyone else, Michaela Diamond, uh, the, the entire cat. We talked about how uh, it's a very starry cast. People, 
great, great people in small roles like Paul Alexander Nolan and William Michaels and, and Howard McGillan. Uh, you know, I mean, I think they, they all just wanted to be involved in, in what they all recognize as a, as a great, great, very profound musical. Well, um, if anybody has um, difficulty uh, thinking about going on 45th Street, there's going to be another production of Parade at uh, Jim Vias's American Theater Group out in Basking Ridge. And then um, after Basking Ridge, it's going to be uh, traveling uh, to West Orange. So for two weekends. Uh, but the reason I mentioned this, Hunter Foster is directing it. But what's really fascinating to me is that uh, Megan McGinnis is in it. Now, she played in the original production as one of um, Mary Fagan's friends who mm -hmm. testifies. And uh, here she is all grown up and now she's playing Lucille, which is really uh, terrific. And uh, so um, this is a production that I think is going to have a lot, a lot of good things in it. Um, David Gordon, who uh, has been around for a while, not the David Gordon, who um, is the uh, editor of Theater Mania. Is that what it is? Is Theater Mania? Does yeah. that sound right? I think okay. So. Okay. So anyway, um, he, um, he's been around for a while and, uh, it's going to happen for him, I'm sure. The, the, um, the interesting thing about this is, uh, it happened because of that now famous little production of the Bridges of Madison County that took place in Deal, mm -hmm. New Jersey. Um, Jim went to see it because he admired Jason Brown's music and lyrics so much. And, um, so Hunter Foster was there too. And they started talking to the musical director and said, why don't we do parade? And that's what happened. So, um, so look for that, um, at the American Theater Group in case you want to go out there or if you're in New Jersey and you don't want to make the trip uh, in town for whatever reason um, there it is so uh, make sure you see it there well thanks for mentioning that I think I'm going to try to catch that good okay so uh, I you know I, 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 I don't even know what to say when I heard about this uh, yeah. the these protests these fools yeah. these fools yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, and, it's wrong even to call it a protest because that makes yeah. it sound like people who... And, know, and it was a very small group. It yes. was a very small group that got an outsized uh, media attention here. And and, I, and I, I hesitate to talk about it because I don't want to give them any more attention. But yeah. also, you know, we have to not ignore these things. But... Um, you know, I, I think that the power of the of the underlying property of parade is much more powerful than their message, and and I I, I wish the the production all the best, and I can't wait to see it. As of well, course, I, I'm a huge Jason yeah. fan. <laughs> you know, this is one of those times when I quote a line from Good Time Charlie, um, a song. Why can't we all be nice? I mean, <laughs> really, you know. Um, so. <laughs> Of course, there are so, people we've all reviewed let's, and say, why can't you be nice? But anyway, go on. <laughs> Let me change the topic here for a second from uh, the scariness of, of these idiots outside of Parade to intentional scariness coming to Broadway in April in <laughs> Grey House. Oh, yeah. So yeah. The, Lori, the Lori Metcalf, uh, Tatiana Maslany uh, coming back to Broadway in a thriller. Uh, I, you know, I'm trying to think 
thrillers have not really done oh, well ain't in the Broadway. Truth. Well, they, they, they have, but not in a long, long time. Not I mean, for after a while. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean in uh, fact, what the longest-running longest play of the last 50 years uh, is Gemini, but Death Trap is only a few performances behind, and that certainly was thrilling. Um, but yes, it is true that this used to be a Broadway staple, the thriller, and um, now has uh, faded into obscurity, just like the sex comedies. You know, so, but here's my question. If Laurie Metcalf wants to come back to Broadway, why isn't she doing Virginia Woolf? Because mm-hmm. she was doing it when the pandemic shut it down. So I want to know about that. What happened there? Well, what people are assuming that they just couldn't get all the elements back together um, at once. Who was going to be George? I don't who, remember. Who was George? They actually didn't. They actually start performing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 They did previews. Yeah. I know people who saw it. Um, but uh, still, um, I, I would have liked to see her in that, and uh, maybe that'll be in the future. Uh, I hope so. But um, yeah, um, having a thriller on Broadway, um, <laughs> at least one is 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 nice um, for old time's sake, at the very least. Uh, um, I, I always get it confused. Is it women in women in black or women in white from London? I, what was I, the thriller? I, well, but well, there's both, both, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, one of them was a thriller. Yeah, one well, of them was a terrible musical. Uh, <laughs> one of them was a terrible play. Uh, woman in Black, I think, is atrocious beyond belief. <laughs> yeah. um, it ran forever at a very small theater. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just That's atrocious. The one I remember um, it was done in Jersey. And uh, when I reviewed it, I said that um, although Paris is called the City of Light, no, Montclair, <laughs> New Jersey was the City of Light that night, as you could see all the cars streaming out of the parking lot with their um, high beams on. I uh, couldn't wait to get out of there. And I remember Carl Walnow, who runs uh, the Centenary Theater in Hackettstown, um, when he told me his season, he said, um, we're doing The Woman in Black. And I said, oh, no, no, please, no, you know, that type of thing. And I remember I got there and I said to him, this is a black day for Centenary. And he said, that's all we ask, that you come with an open mind. You know, so uh, he's a great guy. He really is a great, great guy. A very, very funny. Doesn't take himself too seriously in the worst sense of what that means. So, um, but anyway, yeah, Woman in Black is not for me. And for that matter, yeah, you're right, uh, Michael. Woman in White is not for me either. Um, an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that yeah. uh, didn't uh, hit the bullseye. <laughs> so the, the way, uh, Virginia, the Virginia Wolf was uh, uh, Rupert, Rupert Everett. Everett. Yeah, and, and, uh, and Russell Toby as Nick. Yeah, and Patsy and it Ferret. was uh, it first preview March third and. A, Officially closed March 11th, 11th when, yeah, when sure. everything, everything closed. Did, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So uh, Gray House. When I saw the, I saw the trailer, the the YouTube video trailer for Gray House come up uh, the other day when they announced it, and I was thinking, wow, this is super creepy, and it, it's it, traditionally these thriller types of scary movie things are not my cup of tea, but. I was really interested in this. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens. Well, and uh, just reading the what little they tell you about the play in the press release, it seems uh, two interesting things. I think music is involved somehow. Uh-huh. And also children. Mm-hmm. Uh, Creep. So it's, yeah, it sounds like it could be really, really, really creepy. <laughs> so, uh, uh, what else did I wanted to bring up? The uh, oh, the uh, uh, we saw a music video from Signature DC, uh, Pacific Overtures. Um, yeah, what I did. did you have to... <laughs> so what happened, uh, M- Michael? What did you were you going to say something there? 
Oh no, I just uh, uh, well, what, <laughs> what what was your point? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, my, my point was was that uh, you know you, you don't get a chance to see uh, someone in a tree very often, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that is out there and uh, makes rumblings again of is Pacific Overtures gonna. Uh, you know, make its way back to New York City in some some way, somehow. Uh, excited about that. And also news out of D.C. is that the Kennedy Center canceled their production of Kiss of a Spider. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Very uh, short notice. Yeah, I'll say. We, and they uh, attributed that to the loss of rights. Right. And if you take away the Kennedy Center's rights to do Spider-Woman, it may mean that Spider-Woman's heading to yeah. New York. <laughs> it would seem so. It would a lot seem of so. My, uh, a lot of my friends are very confused about what could be the reason for the cancellation. And I said, well, you have to try to think um, the way they think. And I, I suppose maybe suddenly someone said they wanted to do it on Broadway. And then they thought, well, if we do it in D.C. and it gets negative reviews or not great reviews then that would scotch uh yeah anyone wanting mm-hmm. to do it on broadway so i guess that's why but another thing is um and who knows if this has anything to do with it uh but i believe lauren mitchell was playing uh aurora in the dc really uh, do, do you um do you know she, she did originally uh Original, oh, oh, in, in, per- in purchase, purchase, was it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, I was just wondering if it might have anything to do with the fact um, that they wouldn't want to do a production that didn't have all Latino people. I see. Uh, uh, but, yeah, good point. But yeah. maybe it has absolutely nothing to do with that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, as you know, I have gotten down to see a lot of shows at Signature in Arlington, uh, Virginia, uh, and I didn't schedule... Pacific Overtures just because um, of a lot of st- other stuff going on, but I, I might still try to get there because they really do wonderful, wonderful shows. And you, it's not every day you see Pacific Overtures. No, sure. No, exactly. Yeah. So that was exciting to see all that uh, all that stuff coming out of uh, out of the the DC area. Maryland, D.C., Washington, Annapolis. This, mm-hmm. We're covering mm-hmm. everything today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of covering everything, uh, the Off-Broadway Alliance's uh, 2020 is going to be uh, coming back in March and April. Good. So our listeners out there, um, you can get uh, you can get pretty good Off-Broadway tickets, uh, part of the 2020 program. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. If you are scheduling your uh, your New York visit to catch up with all the things that are opening in March and April on Broadway, certainly take in a handful of great off-Broadway shows as well that are part of this program. Uh, we got news out of ART in the uh, Massachusetts area that um, it's a new production of The Great Gatsby being put together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just called Gatsby. Mm-hmm. They don't have a... Colon the musical, or the <laughs> colon the musical, or an exclamation point. Just Gatsby. Uh, Rachel Chavkin's going to be uh, uh, directing, um, and so Peter. So many 
people have taken a swing at Gatsby over the years? Have you oh, seen sure. a number of Gatsby productions? I did see a reading of um, the Carolyn Lee version that uh, that she did, and um, Ben West uh, produced it some years ago. But ironically enough, the last time I was at ART, I was seeing Gats, which was the elevator mm-hmm. repair services um, reading. And I mean that reading of um, the the entire text of uh, the Great Gatsby, um, including my favorite line: "The telephone books splashed to the floor." Oh, I love that line because you know big telephone books, which a lot of people don't even know what I'm talking about, uh, but the real thick ones, you know, when they used to fall. Yeah, th- that's a good verb, splashed. So I enjoyed hearing that line and seeing the elevated. Uh, service people do the uh, it wasn't just a, uh, there were other actors on stage doing other things but the whole book was read so, so um everybody wants to do this one i mean there have been so many attempts over the years to do the great gas we'll see if this one's great mm-hmm. uh michael uh help me remember did did i see a gatsby at the metropolitan opera like 20 years ago do you do you recall they did um an american tragedy i was there a <laughs> I, I can't remember. remember i can't remember if it, if it was a gatsby or uh, if it was a gatsby or if it was i think i think you're else. right um, oh yeah and i uh-huh. think i saw it but i, I uh-huh. not into contemporary <laughs> opera yeah yeah, yeah. You know, sure, sure. So, uh, uh, this Gatsby opera, The Great Gatsby. Yep, you're right. Wow, yeah. When was it? 1999. Um, written by John Harbison. Wow, Mm. uh, yeah, yeah, crazy. So, um, this ART production of Gatsby, um, seems to have uh, picked up. Uh, a producer, uh, one Jordan Roth, is uh, producing mm-hmm. it up there. Oh, wow. So yeah. uh, we've heard of him. Yeah, we've heard of him, and it seems like if Jordan Roth is producing it, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you might see it in twenty twenty five or yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, on Broadway in New York. So uh, some casting announcement over at Encore is Lily Cooper, Raul Esparza, our friend Raul, mm-hmm. Tam Mutu uh, going to be starring in Oliver at Encore's. Mm-hmm. So that's also Brad Oscar, who I ran yeah. into on the street the other night, and then the next day I got the announcement that he's playing Mr. Bumble, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't able to congratulate him. On that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I get back in touch with Brad and be like, hey Brad, you could have told me. Little heads up. <laughs> <laughs> Little heads up. You know, and and Chrissy Chenoweth just doesn't return my phone calls and text messages anymore because she's so busy with Stephen Schwartz. They're doing yeah, a new something. production of Queen of Versailles. Yeah, uh, uh, is going to be uh, working on. Somebody was saying that the uh, uh, what was the other project she was working on? Was it? Oh, um, pro- uh, no, it was it Tammy Faye? Oh, uh, the Tammy Faye. Yeah, there was some other project she was working on that seems to be. Seems to be dead Dolly as well. Parton. Oh, Dolly Parton. Was there some Dolly Parton? <laughs> she gets mentioned for a lot mm. that doesn't wind up happening. But in yeah. this case, we got a huge press release about oh, it. Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes oh, Her. Oh, is that oh. right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know there was, there was going to be a musical version of that. Yeah. Oh, there was uh, something about Death Bec- uh, the uh, the movie Death mm-hmm. Becomes Her, um, mm. which could could have been very very funny and yes we'll sure. see if that reemerges with another name attached to it maybe uh jane krakowski 
So, oh, nice, nice, you know, nice. Very good idea. Very good idea. Good for you. And then um, out of the confusing part of my week, uh, we got the winners of the 66th Obie Awards, celebrating the 2020 to 2022 season. Uh, and when I got this email, I thought to myself, was there an email hiccup? Did I just get an email from like a year ago? <laughs> but I guess uh, it, 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 as I read the press release, it made more sense that um, that uh, all of the productions that didn't get recognized uh, during the shutdown uh, were recognized in this uh, in this Obie Awards announcement for a ceremony that's coming up. So. Uh, I guess the, you know the Obies are kicking off a little bit early. The beginning of our award season that is going to start happening here very soon. Mm-hmm. Lots yeah. of uh, lot, lot, lots of things that were mentioned in these Obie Award winners um, that we have uh, we've talked about recently. You know, from uh, Fat Ham to English to. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Sanctuary City from a few years nice, ago. Nice, yeah. Um, uh, Nollywood Dreams, Wolf Play, uh, Nini Madre. So, uh, Twelfth Night, we just talked about Classical Theater of Harlem. Mm, Last yeah, week, we talked terrific. about Carrie Young. And uh, mm-hmm. there, Peter was talking how outstanding that production was. And here it is, the award, just a few moments later. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you can uh, check out the link uh, to all the winners of the uh, 66th Obie Awards, celebrating 2020 to 2022 uh, in the show notes. All right, so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to trivia and our musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to an Apple Podcast. There's many ways to get us. You can subscribe to us in Patreon and support Broadway Radio's uh, offerings. That's uh, Broadway radio.com slash patreon or patreon.com slash broadway radio and get all of our shows earlier than everybody else you can also listen to us in iHeartRadio, spotify tune in stitcher google play or anywhere that you can listen to your finer podcasts contact information for peter for michael and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today including that really creepy trailer for gray house <laughs> and all the other stuff so really watch that Watch it with the lights on. That's probably why Michael turned the lights on before we started. <laughs> so, Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia? Yeah, this performer had a mere walk-on in a musical for which she won a Tony. A mere walk-on. Who is she? What's the musical? Explain about that walk-on. God, did this one drive people crazy? <laughs> so many people guessed Dee Dee Bridgewater from The Wiz. No, that wasn't a walk-on. She sang a song. Mm. So many people mentioned Marilyn Cooper from Woman of the Year. No, not only a song, but a scene. So many people mentioned Tessie O'Shea from The Girl Who Came to Supper, who had this enormously long medley um, in uh, the middle of Act One. No, no, no. All right. Sean Logan was the only one to get it. Sean Logan, who I, by the way, neglected to mention as a previous winner the week before, but uh, he was the only one. What's the answer? Well, Bernadette Peters won a Tony as Best Actress in a Musical for Song and Dance. 
a show for which she was the only person in the first act called Song. But in the second act called Dance, which was all dance, there was a point where she entered stage left, walked across the stage, and exited stage right. So that's what I was getting at. That's a true walk-on. All right. This week. Uh, my upcoming book called Brain Teases for Broadway Geniuses, I originally gave a subtitle, Questions That Will Send You Googling. My editor, however, feared that by saying that, people would think that the answer wouldn't be in the book um, and that you'd have to Google to get the answers. No, they're in, they're in the book. So we changed the subtitle. All right. But this question will undoubtedly send you Googling. All right. Nine currently active Broadway theaters have never had the pleasure or the honor of having a Tony-winning best musical originate in their houses. The keyword is originate. But some of these nine did see a Tony winner move there. But what are the nine that didn't see a best musical start out there? Not best musical revival, mind you, just best musical. That's what I'm looking at. Nine theaters haven't had that. What are they? Wow. Okay. <laughs> if you have uh, this list, be sure to email at trivia at broadwayradio.com, and Peter will let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, for a while I was stumped as uh, to what music to use because I hadn't seen any musicals lately and nothing really struck me. Uh, but then uh, our friend Josh Ellis was among those who pointed out that last night, oh, yesterday, uh, the 25th, was the 50th anniversary of the Broadway opening of A Little Night Music. So problem solved. So <laughs> uh, one of one of the great, the great, 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 greatest Sondheim scores. Uh, so our opener mm-hmm. is, uh, two, we have two selections from the original cast recording. Our opener was the Overture and the Night Waltz, um, which opens that show. And then uh, the closer was the finale uh, version of Send in the Clouds, which is the duvet version. Great idea. Good for yeah. you. Good yeah. for you. Between uh, mm. Glennis Johns and Len Cariou, and then into the reprise of the Night Waltz. Uh, and that's our music for this week. All right. So, on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye bye. Bye. Isn't it rich? Are we a pair? Last on the ground Was that a farce? My fault, I fear Me as a merry-go-round Me as king Finally